BBC Radio last Sunday. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm going to bring in my friend Roger Stone, political consultant and strategist down through the years for Nixon and Reagan and Trump, best-selling author. His website is stonecoldtruth.com, stonecoldtruth.com. And he has a great new radio show on WABC Radio on Sundays from 3 to 4 p.m. Roger Stone, welcome back. Uh, now, Roger, you interviewed, I heard the interview, it was a great interview. You interviewed uh, former President Trump last Sunday. So the indictment was already out. He hadn't been arraigned yet. But I want to ask you, in your view, what did you take away? What were the key points you took away from that interview? Well, Larry, I was honored to uh, interview my friend of 44 years, President Donald Trump. Folks who haven't heard it can go to the WABCradio.com website and download it now. It's well worth listening to because it was a wide-ranging interview. I asked him not only about these Fugazi charges against him, but I also asked him about what he knew about UFOs as a former president, whether he would declassify all the documents regarding the John F. Kennedy assassination. Uh, But my takeaway is how incredibly strong, calm, cool, resolute, talkative. He was in a great mood. Mm. You know, I worked for Nixon, as you know, going off the gold standard, his biggest, greatest mistake. I worked for Senator Bob Dole, one of the greatest men of the 20th century. They were both very, very tough guys, but they were not nearly as tough as Donald Trump. Mm. I think, uh, you know, that's such a key point. Uh, I've written about this. Uh, uh, Trump Trump has this fightingness, I call it, fightingness. He never gives up. And I think that people admire that. People that want to clean the swamp uh, in Washington, D.C., you know, Justice Department, FBI, CIA, the federal bureaucracy and so forth, people that want to see, a, you know, change the socialist policies of uh, Joe Biden and go back to free market capitalism and lower taxes and regulations and so forth, Roger. I, I just think people want change, and he's the guy because he is so tough and he is such a fighter. It's like an underlying theme in this. You don't see much about it, but I think that's the key. They want a fighter. Uh, he has enormous grit. Uh, he has enormous self-confidence. Uh, And now he has, I think, even broader knowledge. Look, I think he was a great president in his first term, but he's not a politician. He's not a political animal. He had the naive view that there were two parties, Republicans and Democrats. And then when he got to Washington, all the Republicans would rally around him the way they rallied around our last outsider president, Ronald Reagan. And unfortunately, that wasn't true. What's amazing is how much he accomplished Given those handicaps, the most robust economy in American history, record job creation, record wage growth, the lowest levels of unemployment uh, among black Americans, white Americans, Hispanic Americans, young, old, urban, rural. I mean, a job boom in America, Uh, cutting taxes to bring 
billions of dollars back into the United States to be invested here, to create jobs here, to create prosperity here. All, uh, rebuilding our military, appointing scores of conservatives to the federal courts, all with some of those around him trying to slow him down, trying to dilute his agenda, trying to derail his agenda. He already goes down as one of our greatest transformative presidents, uh, and he's going to do even better in a second term because now he really completely understands the swamp and who the bad guys are. Yeah, he knows where the bodies are buried. You're exactly right, Raj. I, I think that's really an absolutely key point. He'll know where to go. Uh, and that's why this whole left-wing uh, Washington establishment is so afraid of him. By the way, what did he say about the UFOs? Uh, you know what? He kind of finessed the question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that caused literally hundreds of people to email and text me saying, you see, he knows. He knows. That was proof that he knows. That he knows. It's amazing how many people are interested in that. That question was suggested to me by, by my good friend Mancow, the legendary uh, Chicago radio talk show host, and yeah. he's right. Millions of Americans are interested in it. What did he say, what did he say about declassifying the Kennedy tapes? Uh, he, uh, he admitted that uh, the CIA talked him out of it last time, yeah. although he did declassify thousands of documents. We learned many, many things we didn't know previously. For example, Lyndon Baines Johnson was a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. That was uh, in the possession of the FBI, uh, and that was classified for over 50 years. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, uh, his uh, tax returns were never made public because had they done so, they would have shown that he was on the payroll of the FBI. That was withheld for many years. So we learned many things, but he admitted that the Central Intelligence Agency had talked him into delaying the release of some documents because they would expose their, quote, sources and methods. Well, the sources part is ridiculous. There's nobody still alive who was involved in the Kennedy assassination. And in terms of their methods, well, if the CIA was involved in the murder of an American president, we need to know that. He pledged if he goes to the White House again, which he will, he's going to declassify everything. Roger, put your consultant's cap on now. What is Trump's best strategy? How does he play this right now? First and foremost, he needs a very smart, very tough criminal defense attorney. Uh, I, I have just generally speaking not been impressed by his legal representation uh, mm. thus far. Uh, he needs, I think, to be very aggressive in terms of moving uh, to dismiss uh, this, uh, the actions filed against him in Florida. The, they have the wrong controlling law. This all falls under the Presidential uh, Records Act, mm-hmm. and under that act he had the full authority to do everything he did. To say that it should be prosecuted under the Espionage Act of 1917 is a horrific reach. And now, Larry, you see a a, a panic where Andrew Weissman, the epically corrupt prosecutor who was the de facto head of the Mueller witch hunt, now saying, oh, we need to find another venue. We need a plan B. Well, that's an admission that this is a political prosecution. So uh, the president needs to do what he is doing, which is to continue to be on offense in public. I thought his Bedminster speech after being arraigned, was one of the finest speeches I've ever heard him give. Prior to that, his speech in Georgia, his stump speech at the Georgia Republican uh, gathering was extraordinarily effective. 
Donald Trump is a counter puncher. That's what he does best. He needs to keep punching, but he needs first-rate legal representation because uh, the actions of these prosecutors are outrageous. What happened to the Sixth Amendment? Since when can you force uh, an American citizen's own lawyers to testify against them and turn over all documents and private correspondence? That's a violation of the Constitution that boggles the mind. Um, I thought, you know, the Bedminster speech you talked about was one of his best speeches. And what was one of the things that was great about it, Roger, so he comes back, he had been arraigned in Miami, and he flies back to Bedminster, and he gives that speech. His temperament was so even keel. It was so impressive. He just kind of laid out the case and his defense. And then also, Roger, and this pleases me no end, and I've been talking to him quite a bit, he had a great economic growth section in that speech. In fact, all of his speeches, if you look at it, he has a lot of economic substance in his speech. Going back to the CNN town hall debate, uh, with drill, baby, drill. I mean, he didn't do that in 2020 well enough, and he's really doing it well now, Roger Stone. And I think if he does, he's just going to be uh, more and more successful. Well, uh, Larry, you're absolutely right. He's made a series of very, very compelling videos laying out his vision for the future with a major emphasis on growing the economy, creating jobs, and prosperity. One of the major things he needs to do, and I've told him this, so I'm not talking out of school, it is it is time to return to Twitter. It is time to return to the mass-based audience at Twitter. Mm. They need to see those policy videos. Right. They're really very well made. They're yep. very well crafted. They're very well delivered. And he is laying out a positive plan for America's future with a major emphasis on economic growth. The problem is, uh, I love Truth Social, don't get me wrong, I have a big following there, I think it's an important place to talk to the base, but you need to get beyond the base in American politics, and uh, there's no contractual or, or, or other obstacle to his returning to Twitter, I've urged him to do so, I hope he will do so soon. You know, Raj, there's no other candidate, nobody is, is selling the economic growth case like he is. I'm so proud of him. You know, and as I say, I, I've talked to him quite a bit in recent months about this. No one is selling that case the way he is, and it's going to be a big factor in the general election. I mean, corruption will be too. The Burisma bribery thing is going to kill Biden. But you know what I mean? People, it's a kitchen table election, Roger Stone. Uh, people want hope. They want to see the future. Politics is never about the past. It is always about the future. Mm. And Donald Trump has got a big picture plan for America. Yep. Uh, just not enough people, you know, focus on it. And, of course, the mainstream media doesn't ever cover that aspect of it. Mm. Uh, they're, they're, they're too busy denigrating uh, over these various witch hunts. So uh, I could not agree with you more, Larry. All right, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Folks, Roger Stone, WABC Radio on Sundays, 3 to 4 p.m., very important radio show. And Roger's website is www.stonecoldtruth.com. Thank you, Roger. Good luck. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk some economics with Michael Falkender, former Assistant Treasury Secretary. I'm Kudlow. Please stick around.
Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're bringing in Michael Falkenter, professor of finance at the University of Maryland, former assistant secretary for economic policy at the Treasury, and uh, America First Policy Institute visiting fellow. Uh, Mike, uh, welcome back. Thanks for doing this. Let me just start. Uh, what's your economic outlook now for the next year or so? What's your interest rate outlook for the next year or so? I would see the Fed keeping interest rates about where they're at for at least the next six months. I'm, I don't know why Chairman Powell is indicating two more rate hikes to come. It seems like inflation has come down quite a bit. Most of what I'm seeing in, this, in the CPI report is in the shelter space which operates with a lag. So that seems to indicate that inflation is going to keep coming down measured on a 12-month basis. They're not at 2% yet, whether you look at one-month or three-month numbers and annualize them, but they're they're making good progress on it. So, And with the banking sector where it's at, I don't know why I would continue raising rates. So I, I think rates are going to stay where they're at for a while. I'm not with the, the market that we're going to see significant rate reductions second half of this year, beginning of next year. Um, you know, that retail sales number that came in yesterday, I'm still trying to figure out where that fits into the forecast because I would have said that we were going to be having a recession latter half of this year. Hmm. But but then people keep spending in the consumer sentiment numbers that came out of Michigan yesterday were also pretty strong. So it seems like there's more resiliency than I was previously expecting you know, because again, that retail sales number was up 0.3. We were expecting a drop. Um, so it seems like there's more strength in it than I would have thought until yesterday's numbers. But you know, the, the retail sales number, the basic, the base number, the core number, X autos, gasoline, and, uh, building construction, which go, the stuff that goes into GDP, Mike, 0.2. So it's, 0.2 annualized the last three months. And I was looking, so it's, you know, it's, it's still a sloppy number. Um, the GDP tracker from Atlanta Fed has dropped now back to 1.8% for the second quarter. You may have seen that. They started out uh, a month ago or so, I think 3%. So, it, you know, it, it just seems like you're in this, I, I, whether or not we go into recession, you're just in this slow, subpar, kind of stagnating economy. We absolutely are. And and that a lot is, I think, coming from a complete loss of productivity improvements. Yeah. So we, we're seeing increases in employment every month, but we're not seeing that correspond into much larger 
output resulting from it. And again, this comes back to the Biden administration seems to remove most incentives for businesses to be engaging in significant investment. They're spending way too much of their time engaged in regulatory compliance issues that actually saps productivity. And that's the recipe for stagflation. It's Mm -hmm. that okay, we've got good employment numbers, but you you get price increases because businesses are spending their time engaged in compliance. They're not spending their time improving output. So we get low growth, but we get price increases. And so that's stagflation. And so you're right, whether we get actually negative growth or it just kind of flatlines, Mm. then that's a recipe for no growth and energy. You more than anybody else is out there explaining to the American people the lack of growth creates a whole set of follow-on problems because we can't get anywhere near towards responsible fiscal policy if we have lack of growth. Growth is necessary given the demographic challenges that we have if we are going to fulfill the promises that have been made to America's seniors. By the way, I agree with you also on the Fed. I think they should just uh, hold it where it is because inflation is coming down. I don't want him to destroy the economy. Mike, I don't have you talked to Brooke Rollins lately? Uh a little bit. Yeah. So I was talking to her uh at some length yesterday. Uh so we need you to be the point guy, kind of executive director. We're gonna set up uh a group, a steering committee, and um flesh out a future agenda for the economy, for economic growth and prosperity. You know, look at the budget, look at taxes, look at regulations, uh, look at the Fed, uh, all these things. You know, you mentioned productivity. That's so important. All the stuff that feeds into productivity, which creates growth. We'll get Laffer and uh, Hassett and myself Maybe Casey Mulligan, who's very good on regulations, I think you would agree. Uh, you and, we'll talk some, you and I'll talk some more about this, who, who should, who we should get. And then, uh, we'll have you and the staff at AFPI do some working papers. I think we need to do this. Just, you know, get ready. It's like a transition exercise, uh, for future economic growth. Let's get it back to the long term three and a half percent. And maybe even in the next couple of years, try to beat three and a half percent. What you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we've got to focus on a couple of things. Number one, we have got to continue having labor force growth. So anything and everything we can do to encourage people mm. to be part of the working economy. So what are the disincentives that are in place that are keeping people on the sidelines? And then, of course, the second thing that goes into growth is is that productivity piece. It's how do we get the capital investment that we need, how do we get the intellectual property development that we need, and how do we reform you know, the education system? You look at the biggest, you know, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week about who the biggest losers were from the pandemic, and it was it was our kids. And you know, I see it with my own kids that they there were some things that were missed during those pandemic years. We have got to get that, we've got to get the next generation workforce ready to take the reins because that underlying investment in intellectual growth is what facilitates productivity improvement throughout their lifetimes. Mm. So those are absolutely essential elements because 
labor force growth and um, improvements in productivity are the basis of economic growth without right. inflation. That's your GDP growth. Absolutely right. Um, Mike, have you followed this business about the OECD minimum tax increase plus uh, foreign governments will be able to uh, tax our companies overseas? I mean, I I know this started with uh, when we were in the administration Mnuchin and I talked a lot about this, you know, and uh, Bruno Le Maire, the finance minister of France, was very keen on it. Trump himself said foreigners can't tax American companies. Only Americans can decide about taxes. I mean, I don't like any of this. Janet Yellen's driving this thing. I think this is very bad news. I agree with you entirely. And the idea that Janet Yellen thinks that she can bypass the United States Congress and in some way kind of put them in a corner when it actually requires Congress's consent to modify all of the tax treaties that would be required to enter into these OECD agreements. And I don't understand why, in the pursuit of higher corporate income taxes, they're willing to have differential treatment of American companies relative to companies that are headquartered everywhere else in the world. I mean, you, you look at how you look at how these different countries have engaged in the negotiations. Every single one of them is protecting their home-based companies, right. except us. Right. We seem to be more than willing to sacrifice the technology companies and the pharmaceutical companies who have global operations and have done so much to realize improvements in standards of living and improvements in economic growth. And yet everybody else is protecting themselves. But it's because there seems to be a mentality, both in the White House and at Treasury, that profits are something to be uh, discouraged or to be penalized. Incredible. And if that's what it takes to do it, they're more than willing to do so. All right. Michael Falkender, thank you very, very much. We appreciate it, folks. We're going to take a break. And then after the break, we're going to do some stock market work. you got a bull market cooking in stocks. The question is, can it last? Nancy Tengler, Kenny Polcari, I'm Kudlow. Stock market next up. Please stay with us. 